This morning, I want to pick out a verse, which I believe the Lord has led me to. You're going to have to forgive me. I've got some sinus stuff going on this morning. I got outside yesterday. I don't know what I got into. It would have been easy for me to cop out and throw it to one of our spiritual other leaders or throw it to our youth pastor or someone. But then I begin to think, what would I say to the Apostle Paul? You know, you read over there, you read over there in 2 Corinthians 11 and beaten with rods and shipwrecked, naked at sea, adrift at sea for days and in prison. And I, I'm going to have to meet Paul one day. But Brother Charles, what happened to you? I had a little sinus issue going on there. <laughs> Took me down for the count. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Well, we do have this treasure in earthen vessels. The vessels are frail and finite. But the treasure, the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, come on, is the treasure today. And I want to get into a little treasure today of the word of the Lord. Verse I want to go to today is one you know. I could probably, half of this church could quote this verse. I preached on it, no telling how many times. But the Lord always brings a verse in a fresh way. He brings that sword of the Spirit, that now verse, that moment, that verse that we need. And uh, so I'll title this, ver- title this message, A Verse for All of Life. This is a verse for all of life. Romans 8, 28. The New King James says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The NIV says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. NLT says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those that love God are called according to his purpose. You get, you get what God is saying. God is at work in our lives. God is at work in this church. This is a verse for all of life. And Father, we believe this is your holy word. We believe this is your truth. It's a revelation you've given from heaven by the Holy Spirit as you came upon men, and they wrote down exactly what you wanted them to write down. Father, we submit ourselves to this word, this chapter, these verses today. I pray that every heart would be spoken to today. We know that the enemy comes to church, and the reason we know that is because he comes to steal the seed of the word. Lord, we're not going to allow the enemy to steal the seed. May every heart in this room be the good soil of Matthew and Luke, some 30, some 60, some a whole a hundredfold, bear fruit today in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> a verse for all of life. This is an amazing verse. Would you agree with that? An amazing verse. Because it embraces all of the life of the followers of Jesus. From time to eternity, I could probably say it this way, from eternity to time to eternity. There are verses like, and I'm going to read this, but Ephesians 1.4 goes back before time. God was working on our salvation. This verse reaches back to eternity past, to the desired purpose of God. It reaches forward to eternity future when the purpose of God 
will be complete in the church. What God is doing in the world today. See, what, what this world is so focused on and what this world is so enamored with is going to vanish in a moment in a puff of smoke. Everything temporal, everything seen, Paul said in another place, is temporary. But what God does is eternal. The world looks in, according to 1 John 1, 3, the, the, the world does not know us because it did not know him, it says. They look at the church as insignificant, but what they don't realize in the mind and the heart of God, the most lovely thing, the most perfect thing, the very apple of God's eye are the followers of Jesus Christ, the church. That is his focus today, and he is working in our lives. What an amazing verse. This verse includes all the experience that we will ever face, joyful moments in all things. Everybody say all things. Joyful moments, suffering seasons, confusing epochs, delayed and prolonged trials, breakthroughs and victories, Answered prayer and unanswered prayer. So you didn't say amen on that last one, did you? Come on. Answered prayer, unanswered prayer. You know, sometimes you don't want. Some of the prayers I prayed when I was first saved, I am so happy he did not answer those prayers. How dumb were those prayers? Carnal, immature prayers. I mean, he knows what he's, he's driving. The, he's driving the ship. But answered prayers and unanswered prayers. Lack and abundance, of which Paul said he learned how to be abound and learned how to be abased through the strength of Christ that he gives us every moment to serve out the purpose and the will of God. This is a verse for all of life, every season, every moment, everything is included in this. See, what happens to us, we get stuck in a season we get stuck in a moment, and we treat a moment as a, as a whole. But a moment is a moment. A season is a season. There are seasons that you and I have been through that we thought we'd never get out of. The enemy convinced that, that it was the end. And yet you're here today, and you look back as a testimony. The Lord's been faithful. Come on, sister. The Lord has been faithful. Are you hearing me today? And what happens is it's like the, the mother who was trying to teach her child or a little girl about Romans 8.28, and she laid out all the baking ingredients. And she had her taste the ingredients separate from the mixed all together. The salt, oh, that's bitter. The, the flour, oh, that's whatever, <laughs> bland. The butter, oh, yucky. And then she, but she mixed it all together, put it in the oven, and, and then she tasted it, and it tasted great. And she said, honey, this is how Romans 8.28 is. If you, if you take any season by itself, you don't think it's good, and it doesn't really. But when God gets done with the whole portrait, not just one or two brushstrokes, but when God gets through with it all, we're going to say he has done all things well. For his plans are perfect. His timing is perfect. His power is perfect. His wisdom is perfect. Why? Because all things work together for the good of those who love God and those that are called according to his purpose. This is a verse for all of life, every season of life. This verse, this verse promises that God is working his eternal purpose 
and his eternal good in our lives. I want to bring before our thoughts three, three thoughts in this verse. If I told you how the Lord speaks to me in these sermons, you would laugh. I won't, I won't go into that. But here's the three things that came to my heart. This, And I believe the Holy Spirit nudged me to this. First of all, I want to talk about who is this verse for? Who can apply Romans 8.28? Secondly, I want to talk about what does this verse teach us about the God we serve? And thirdly, how should we, what, what, what spiritual a- action and reaction should we have because of this verse? Because of what it teaches about God and his purpose and his plan. What should be our spiritual default? What should be our spiritual action because of this? What should we do? Those three things. First of all, who is this verse for? Number one, who, who can apply it? Well, As you look at this verse, I can just be straightforward with you. This verse doesn't apply to everyone. I mean, there are promises and there are things that God will do, but you have to meet the conditions. I hear a lot. I hear many, many. I've heard all my Christian life, this unconditional, unconditional, unconditional. There are some things that are settled in the mind of God that are unconditional, but much of it is not unconditional. Even salvation itself We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, you are saved. That not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Faith is a prerequisite to to our saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You understand my point. This verse doesn't generally apply to all of mankind, certainly not to lost mankind. Now, I know there are people in life People in life, just in general, general humanity, saved and lost, there are people that have positive personalities. There are people that everything's going to work out no matter what. And I like to be around people like that, don't you? I mean, it beats the opposite. I mean, I think, I think it takes about seven positive people to overcome one negative person. I don't doubt that that's probably statistically correct. Negative folks can do some terrible things to just, to just bring unbelief among the people of the Lord but I thank God for those can-do people. But let me, let me, a little caveat here, a little, little, little aside here. I thank God for positive people, but your positivity has to be based in reality and not fantasy. In other words, your reality is to be based on the truth of the Word of God or you're on a sinking foundation. I mean, you, listen, you could be standing on the Titanic saying everything's going to work out. You still going down, brother? Right? Our positivity and our faith have to be in the reality. We have the belt of truth. That's the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. And we have the belt of truth. So everything's going to work out, but it has to work out according to what the B-I-B-L-E says. Not, Not humanism and not human desires and human kingdoms. All that's going to fall one day. Truth is this that things will not work out for the good of those who reject Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, and the salvation that God has given. Listen, there's only one salvation. There's only one Savior. What is His name? His name is Jesus. 
And He was sent to save us from our sin. My faith is in Christ in the morning, in the noon, in the night. My faith is in Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. My trust is in Him. Amen? We've learned in Romans, of which I read our text today, we learned early on in Romans this, about the wrath of God. Now, many preachers don't talk about the wrath of God. I will talk about anything in this book that God says is there. The wrath of God against all, it says it in, in Romans 1 and 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This means this, there are consequences to violating the word of God. There are consequences to ignoring what God has said in his word. Those, the scripture teaches in Romans 5, or Romans 8, it says, those, and I'll paraphrase, but those who walk in the flesh, those who are carnally minded, they cannot please God, and the end of their life will end in eternal destruction. What am I telling you? I'm telling you this. It doesn't sound like to me, as you read the entirety of the word of God, that all things are going to work out genuinely well for all of mankind. These verses I've alluded to and even referenced those who ignore the commands of God, they lack peace, they, they're focused on the world, and they don't care about the eternal purpose of God. So this verse doesn't apply to them. I would also add this. Romans 8.28 does not apply to a backslider who willfully turns away from the word of God and the commands of God. The Bible never says that all things work together for the good of those who turn from God and backslide. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible time and time again warns Christians to not allow sin to reassert itself. We have a choice. And the more I read the scripture, and I've read it over and over for 30 plus years, the more I read the word of God, I realize there's this warning to us. It's in every book of the Bible just about not to allow sin to reassert itself. Not to yield. We have a choice. We can yield ourselves to God or yield our instruments to the world and the enemy. Listen to what Romans says. A little bit of lengthy reading here. Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. In other words, should a Christian continue to willfully sin against God? The, the certainly not in this translation is a little weak. It is a God forbid. Perish the thought. That's how strong it is in the Greek. Look at this. Do you not know that to whom you, whom, that whom you, the Christians he's writing to that have already been saved, he says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves to whom you obey? Now, notice what he said. Notice the two different directions, whether to sin leading that will lead you back to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through, though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine of which you were now delivered. Look at verse 19. He talks about speaking in human terms in the middle part of the verse. For just as you, just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness in the past, he's meaning... Of, uh, of and of lawlessness leading to more lawless, so now. Everyone say, so now. So now this is what you do. You present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Later on he says that the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God's eternal life. Now, I left some out there because I don't have time to read all that. You can read it in your own time, but here's what I'm telling us. He's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to say, don't allow sin to reassert itself in your life. Continually yield yourself to God day by day as the Holy Spirit helps you. Our great helper, our great advocate. In Romans 8, 13, he says this, and we'll move on here. For if you, he's writing to the Christians, live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die once again. You'll go back into spiritual death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now I'm going to move on quickly, but let me just wrap this little, little aside point up. Is this. Romans 8.28, this verse for all of life is not applied to a lost person. It's not a, it doesn't apply to a person who doesn't love God and following the purposes of God. Somehow they turn their heart away from God and they're not serving him anymore. We have many illustrations of that, both Old and New Testament. Think of Saul, King Saul. Changed heart. Received the Holy Spirit. Later turned to spiritism. Lost the Holy Spirit. First Samuel 16. Died by suicide. And was cursed by God. I mean, listen, listen to this language in Chronicles 10, 13. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord, even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. It doesn't sound like it worked out that great for him. It never works that great when we turn our backs on the Lord. Listen, dear one. Serve the Lord faithfully. Now, let me think about Judas. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Think about Hymenaeus and Alexander. Think about the warnings to the church. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to us, this verse doesn't apply to those who turned their backs on the Lord. Now let's switch gears, get in the positive mode. Who does this verse apply to? This verse, Romans 8.28, applies to every, every sincere child of God. Every sincere child of God who love God and are with all of their heart seeking to please Him. Now let me clear something up here. There are no super saints. None, none exist. Every one of us are a work in progress. Every one of us have weak moments in our lives. And every one of us at times sin. So when I, my previous point was about willful rebellion. Not about weak saints and not about immature saints. I tell you, Romans 8.28 will work for the weakest one among us. It'll work for the one who failed the Lord this week and cried out to God for forgiveness. Romans 8.28 works for you. Amen? Because our God is gracious and he's merciful. So let me clarify that point. Who's the verse for? Now think about it. Not for the lost person who rejects salvation, Jesus. Not for the backslider who has turned his heart back to the world, but for every sincere child of God. You can claim Romans 8.28. And you know why? Because he, being confident of this very thing, Philippians 1.6, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Hear that, unto the day of Jesus Christ. 
Dear ones, hear me. If there's weaknesses and failures in your life, God is still working in your life. He is shaping you. He's molding you. He may have to chastise us a little along the way, and he does because he's Father and he loves us. That chastisement's the, the sign that we're, we're, we're his children. Amen. Who does this verse apply to? Every sincere child of God. Secondly, what does this verse teach us about God? The verse again, New King James. Well, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So I begin to think about what does this, what does this verse say about God? What does this verse say about the kind of God we serve? Don't we serve an amazing God? I don't know how anyone could look outside at creation and go, it all just kind of big bang and kind of silliness. I say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He rides up on the circle of the earth. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He's a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. Do you believe that? Say that. What a mighty God we serve. What does this verse say about God? That he works in our lives. Here's the first thing I thought, and that's this. God is trustworthy. He is a faithful God. He is faithful to his people, faithful to his purposes, faithful to his promises, to those who have been called according to his purpose. It's comforting to me that in a changing world, things are changing so quickly. I was talking to someone, oh, someone this morning about some technology here at the church to help and I was saying, you know, we have some tech now. We have a bunch of stuff packed down here. I can't wait to get some stuff out. It's going to be like Christmas down there. Got my books, all my physical books. Thank God I have thousands of digital books to satisfy my, my spiritual needs. But uh, we, have, we have some technology. But I told them, I said to, to, to Manny and Lynn this morning, but that stuff may be obsolete by now. I mean, you can buy a computer in six months. It's obsolete. Things are going so fast that it can create insecurity in us. But think about this. We even change. I mean, I looked in the mirror and I thought, boy, you're changing. (laughs) But friends, listen. There's something that's so strong in your life, something so powerful, and that is your God never changes. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and somehow he is different in some way. He's eternal God. He's unchanging God. I love what Timothy says, Amplified Bible 2.13, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless and if we do not believe and are untrue to him, he remains true. In other words, you may change. A lot of churches have changed. A lot of preachers have changed. And look, Notice what it says. If we are faithless and do not believe and are untrue to him, in other words, we got people that started off strong and somehow they, they made a pit stop along the way. But notice what? If the church changes, if preachers change, if churches change, it says he remains true, faithful to his word, righteous in his character, for he cannot deny himself. He never changes. You can depend on him. And I love Thessalonians. Oh, I need this verse right here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 4. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
Notice this. May your, Paul loves to pile words up like this all through his writings. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. I mean, he's saying through and through God is working in your lives. Be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. That's Romans 8, 28 in another sense. God's working you to sanctify you, to make you like his son. The ultimate goal is to make us like Jesus. I don't know about you, but he's still working on me. You feel that way? Certainly. But he does it faithfully. Maybe you've stumbled this week. I would say get back up. Dust yourself off. Ask him to cleanse you. And the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9, he'll do it. Come on, he'll do it. His word is unchanging. One of the first verses as a young man that I memorized, why I went there, I don't know. I think I got a bunch of memory cards and it was just on there. But Numbers 20 through 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken it and shall he not make it good? I love 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21. NIV says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, He's made a lot of them, hasn't He? So many wonderful promises. I've heard they're like 30,000. Never counted them all, but I, I, I love them all. If there's 30,000, they're great. If they're 30,000 and one, they're great that way too. All, how many promises He's made? They are yes. Come on, shout yes. Come on, once again, yes. I mean, saving promises, healing promises, delivering promises, supplying promises, helping promises, peace promises, family promises. God is for you. He says yes to you. He's working in your lives. This is a verse for all of life. Romans 8, 28 covers it all. It tells us he is a faithful God. And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now to him, who will make both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Faithful. This verse tells me that God is faithful to work in my life, to bring forth his purposes and his plan. Here's what it also tells me. Here's another thing it teaches us, and that's this, that God is powerful. You serve a powerful God. Hebrews says he holds all things up by the word of his power. Not only did he speak the world in, into existence, but that word is so powerful, it's still holding it together, or it would just disintegrate into a billion pieces. I mean, the world, the ungrateful world doesn't know it's God holding this thing together. And very soon, he's going to step back. And Antichrist is coming. And war is coming. And famine is coming. And great death is coming. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen there. The church is going to be with Christ in God's timing. We serve a powerful God. He has the power to save us. I mean, if he's working in us, that work had to begin somewhere. Where did it begin? It began with the conviction of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, John 16, 8. And in this very chapter, we quoted our verse out of, in verse 2, of this, he set us free from the law of sin and death. There was a law so powerful, so binding, so enslaving, that we could not get out of it through self-works, religion, or anything else. 
But Jesus died, it says in verse 3 and 4. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. I'm telling you, the work began at Calvary, but it's going to end in glory. We have a God that's powerful to save us. Powerful to fill us with the Holy Spirit. As I've said, I won't go all back into it, but two times in Romans, the Spirit, Holy Spirit is mentioned, Romans 1-4, Romans 5-5. Not mentioned in Romans 7, but then we come to Romans 8, and the Holy Spirit's mentioned almost 19 times, depending on the translation. Tells me that God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. There's no such thing as as Christianity that's not Spirit-filled. If it's not Spirit-filled, it's not Christianity. Because we're saved by the Spirit. We're guided by the Spirit. We're filled by the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. We're helped by the Spirit. This, This is the sword of the Spirit of God. We need His presence. We need more of His presence. Listen, what God has for us on this property and the vision, the purpose God has for us in our future, we're going to need His signs, miracles, and wonders. We need a gospel with power, and that's the kind we have here. Here's how powerful God is. I mean, God's working our lives in all these epochs, all these seasons. You say, where will it culminate? It's going to culminate in a powerful work of God. Romans 8, 11, and Don, if you'd put that up, please. Romans 8, 11, NIV. Notice this, this powerful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at this, Romans 8, 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Now, there again, in the if, it's not a question in the Greek. It's, it's, it's the Spirit is, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. Notice this. He who raised Christ from the dead. You believe in the resurrection? You better. You can't be saved without it. Right? You can't be saved without believing in the resurrection. We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead, Romans 10. But look at this. He who raised Christ from the dead will also... Give life to our mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Do you realize what's going to happen one day in your life? Now, I don't want to die. I want to go in the resurrection. But whatever the case, I have a promise from, from my powerful God that said Romans 8, 1, 8 28 is from eternity through time and into eternity. And one day, if, if, if the resurrection hasn't taken place yet, and when I stop pastoring this church, when I'm 120, I mean, Noah preached 120 years, didn't he? I just claimed that. <laughs> you have to carry me up here, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> somebody say, deliver us, Lord. Uh, <laughs> we have a powerful God. This body may go in the ground. But there's a getting up morning. Because Romans 8, 28 doesn't, is not excluded from the resurrection. Listen to this. Uh, one day Jesus showed us how powerful he was. He stood outside my tomb. They said, your friend Lazarus is sick. He waited four more days, which was odd. But God's ways are higher than our ways. See, problems are platform for miracles. We get into a problem, we go in despair. God, God allows us into a problem, and he says, I'm about to do something great. I'm about to show out for my people. And Jesus waited four days. 
They were offended at him. You know, you can get offended at God. Romans 8, 28 can get you offended. Because we think God is at work in our lives in the joyful times. God's at work in all in, 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 the, in the prosperity times. God's working when everybody's happy with us. But we can't see God working through the pain and the sorrow and the misunderstandings and waiting on God and not understanding God's timing, God's ways. And Martha and Mary got upset. I said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Did not I tell you? That if you will believe and keep believing is what it means, you're going to see the glory of God. No one, no one in the history of humanity has ever been let down or disappointed by keeping their faith in God. Are you hearing me? But multitudes and multitudes who gave up and got discouraged and threw in the towel wish they never had. Everyone who's ever given up wish they hadn't given up. The Bible said those, Scripture says, those who trust in Him shall never be put to shame. We're going to believe God. We're going to see His promises come to pass. We're going to see His purposes come to pass. Why? He's a faithful God and He's a powerful God. And Jesus stood outside on that graveyard and said, move that stone out of the way. And then they start trying to help Jesus. Well, geez, don't you know this? Don't you know this is the way we do it down here? He stinks by now and all this and that. But we serve a God who's so powerful to work in a Romans 8, 28 way. He was working in their lives for good. He was about to show them a miracle, and they didn't even know it. And he prayed a prayer. Lord, I know you hear me, and I'm paraphrasing. You always hear me. Get all the glory. And the Scripture says that he spoke these few words. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, just those words. And one of the greatest, probably the greatest miracle, let me say it this way, the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I mean, here's a, this man doesn't have a, a, a broken leg. This man is not demon-possessed. This man's been dead four days. And yet Jesus said in 11.25 of John, I am the resurrection and the life. It didn't matter if he's dead a hundred days. When Jesus shows up, he's the powerful resurrection God, and he brings the dead to life again. And you say, that's a great miracle. But listen, we're in for a greater miracle. You say, what do you mean? Wrap your mind, if you can, around these verses. Now think about the powerful voice of Christ. You say, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, that was amazing. Now think about, now just an aside here. You, you, have you often wondered, like, like for instance, he's walking down the beach and he sees James and John or Peter and Andrew. And he just says, come follow me. And he keeps walking and they follow him. And you're like going, am I missing something here? Isn't there like an application or a job interview? What are the benefits, you know? Right? Think about it. Natural. So... But, but when you consider how powerful our God is, when he spoke those words, come, follow me, they weren't the words of a man. They weren't the empty words of a human being. It was God in flesh, and it literally reverberated in their souls. And one word, just a few words, brought Lazarus out. But wrap your mind around this. This is like one of those, 
moments. John, on the screen, John 5, 28 and 9 in the NIV, it says this. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all, everyone say all, all who are in the graves will hear his voice. I want you to think of how many graves there are on this earth right now. I mean, you can go over to France and look at all those people that died at Omaha Beach and Normandy. And, you know, the only thing that we ever asked from France was a piece of ground to bury our dead boys. And you can see those just forever. I was down in uh, a couple few years ago. I was in Florida, and I was at the naval base down there in Pensacola. And I went to that graveyard down there. I even took some pictures. You remember, you probably go back and on some of those pictures on our Facebook or my Facebook. Just as far as you could see, graves. That's just a speck of all the graves there are on this planet. Are you getting the picture here? Are you getting it? Are you getting the, are you understanding a little what I'm trying to tell you this morning? Then you then you look at Lazarus' miracle and you go, so what? No big deal when you realize that everyone in the grave one day, when Christ speaks, they're coming out. Now look at this. And come out, and those who have done what is good will raise to live. That's, say, everybody say, that's us. That's me. I'm on that team right there, the church. And those who have done what is evil will raise to condemnation. Mm. You tell me about Romans 8, 20. You tell me about a verse for all of life. I'm telling the powerful God's at work in your life to bring his purpose, his plans, his promises to, to come to fruition in your life. That's why you can be confident in this trustworthy God. Hallelujah. What a powerful God. One of these days, I'm going to move on. Note, folks, I'm going to move on. One of these days. God's going to raise us up at the culmination of this all-working God in all seasons. Listen, it doesn't end here, dear ones. It doesn't end here with all the wokeness and the irreverence toward God. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end like this. It doesn't end like this. Coming, there's coming a day when God's going to catch us up to heaven at the culmination of the Romans 8.28 which there again embraces eternity and time and eternity. And God's going to catch us up to that place beyond the skies. And in that day, there's going to be some things eliminated from our existence and our lives. The Bible says there'll be no more sea, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no curse, no night, no death. Death will be vanquished. Corinthians says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortality, and the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. No more funeral home directors. No more funerals. No more funerals. 
We did a funeral for Sister Dorothy here not long ago, Brother Bob. The finest specimen of Christianity I've ever met is your wife. Won't have to do that anymore. Won't have to shed those tears anymore. We're going to experience glory. The Bible calls it eternal glory. Down here, we get dishonor. I mean, think about it. One of the greatest men to ever live is Paul. I have read of no greater. He wrote half the New Testament. How that little man did what he did is only attributed to the glory and the power of God through him. And yet, what did he get? Dishonor. And that's what Christians get down here. If all the world speaks well of you, then something's wrong with your Christianity, especially in our American culture now. Dishonor and pain. But in that day, all the dishonor will be washed away, and God will glorify his church and glorify his people. Think about it. What does it teach us? Quickly. It teaches us, this verse teaches us, that he is a loving God. Those that love God, those that are called according to his purpose. Well, Pastor, this says, this verse, it's those who love God, we loving God, and we called according to his purpose. But yet, where did your love for God come from? We're not that spiritual. (laughs) It all comes from him. It's not some great spirituality in us. Listen to what this verse says. We love him because he first loved us. The only reason we have any love for God is because his spirit has stirred that love up for him. And in his love, he watches over us, watches over us to meet our needs. This verse teaches that, and I'm closing, this verse teaches us that not only is he a trustworthy God and a powerful God and a loving God, but he's an omniscient God. I mean, how could he know how to work in your life if he doesn't know about your life? See, there's, there's some people that, that they're very internal. We call them internal type persons. They have an internal kind of mechanism, and they never, they never let out their feelings. And whether that's just natural personality given by God or whether some kind of hurts have, have trapped them in, well, it's true. No one knows. Even the Bible says only, only the spirit in a man really knows what's in the man. But the truth is, God is omniscient over your life. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly where the hurts are and what tomorrow holds and what yesterday and what everything around you. He's omniscient. There's there's nothing he does not know about you. In fact, the, the psalmist said it this way. The psalmist said, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And then thinking about this, the psalmist said, such knowledge It's just too wonderful for me. 
too lofty for me. I can't even comprehend a God with such intricate and vast knowledge of our lives. And he doesn't know us to judge us. The judgment was placed on Christ 2,000 years ago. He knows us to help us and to love us and to meet our needs need in an exact way. And what we need is Jesus Christ. So let's close with this action. There always need to be an action, right? So what, how do we respond to this? A God that says that we can claim this verse, that we know that all things work together for the good of those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. We're not a perfect believers. There's no such thing. Only Christ is perfect. We, we stumble along our way, and we trust in him, and we get up, and we go. Sincere believers, no matter how weak we are, we can claim this verse. God is at work in us. We've heard what it teaches about the nature and character of God. What is our response toward this? And, and I would say about five. One, unwavering faith. You can have absolute trust completely in God. You can trust him to work what is good and what is best in your life, even if it doesn't seem good. And we do, we do go through difficult moments. No one in this room will ever get out of this life without some kind of hurt or pain or betrayal or something like that. But I can tell you this, you can trust God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. He is working his plan out in your life, and he cares for you. Second response is unbending endurance. Never give up. No matter how big the mountain is, no matter how low the valley is, no matter how intense the fire is, never give up. Why? Because God in Romans 8, 28 is working for our good. You need endurance that after you've done the will of God, you're going to receive the promise. You're coming out because God is at work. I think another response is just reverence and awe of the majesty of our God that can work in everyone's life, that can put all the pieces together, can fit them together like a perfect puzzle for his glory. Reverence and awe of how big and awesome and mighty he is. That's why we could never worship idols. That's why idolatry is so hateful to God. Because nothing like that could represent God. I think another response is praise and worship. That we worship him. That we proclaim the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. A God like that deserves our praise. A God like that deserves our songs of thanksgiving. The God like that, our Lord Jesus Christ, deserves us to lift our hands and honor him and sing the praises to his name. And then I would say a response would be prayer and intercession. Because if you remember, verse 26 and 7 goes with 28. Aren't I smart? 26, 27, 28. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Remember what 26 and 7 says? In the same way the Spirit helps our weaknesses, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with, groan, with words, wordless groans, and he searches. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the knows the mind of the spirit, because the spirit 
intercedes for God's people according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God, those that are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 is in the context of a praying believer. As we're praying and we're interceding and we're seeking God, it's through prayer that God is bringing forth his great and perfect plan in our lives. I think a proper response would be joy in every circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You, you, you're in a season and you're going through a trial. And then the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, Romans 8, 28, I'm moving. Well, Lord, if you're moving, I'd better not be depressed here because something good's about to happen, right? Why waste my time in depression? Why waste my time in pessimism? Come on. I'm going to go ahead and just rejoice in the Lord. That's a, it's got to just mess the devil up. When the devil throws his very best at us, and we're going, oh, thank you, Jesus. And he's going, did we miss something? And yes, he, he did miss something. That our God's mighty, that Romans 8, 28 works in our lives, and God's working out his plan. We may be in, but we're going through. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together.